Hello, and welcome back to Research Matters, a podcast produced by UNICEF's Office of Research at Innocenti in Florence, Italy. I'm Kathleen Sullivan, a communication specialist with UNICEF Innocenti, and today I'm talking to our resident expert on migration research for children, Bina da Costa, as we lead into this year's Global Compact for Migration in Marrakesh. For those who don't know, the Global Compact for Migration is the first ever UN global agreement on a common approach to international migration in all its dimensions. We'll discuss UNICEF Innocenti's latest research projects on migration issues for children, as well as what we hope to come out of the compact and what's next for research out of our office. So welcome back, Vina. Could you introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your background as a researcher? How has your role evolved as migration issues have come to the forefront? Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you for being so patient and still actually trying to get me to have this last podcast with you. I really appreciate that. Well, you're so, so busy. So. <laughs> It's really great to finally have you here. No, but it's wonderful, actually, to be able to share some of my experiences uh, and what you're asking in terms of my background. Well, as our listeners know, my name is Bina De Costa. I have worked as a senior migration and displacement uh, um, specialist here at UNICEF Office of Research in Ocenti. Um, I was hired uh, in 2016 at the height of the Syrian refugee um, I would say it in court crisis or the Syrian refugee situation, if you like. At that time, when UNICEF also was at the forefront with UNHCR, IOM, and other international national agencies to to think about how to better protect children who are in the migration pathway. UNICEF is not new in this area. UNICEF have been, ever since its beginning, throughout its history, it had worked a lot with displaced children and migrant children. But what we learned from uh, 2015 onwards, that we really needed dedicated research team, dedicated data and evidence work to tell us a little bit more about how to do our advocacy well, how to think about our program responses well, and how to tie all those into the global discussions on migration and displacement. This is really important for UNICEF to engage for two, for two very specific reasons. One is that states always think about border security and its own security and protection of its citizens. And then you have human beings and other living things around us, which also need protection. There's also different ways of thinking about security. So how do we actually connect protection of citizens, protections of, of protection of states, if you like, with protection of people, protection of children who may not be citizens, who are citizens of other countries, or who may be actually even stateless. So some of this discussion intellectually we wanted to engage in from UNICEF. And I was very lucky to be able to contribute at the UNICEF Office of Research in Ocenti and establish our migration and displacement research. Um, So you also asked, Kathleen, how I started this work. This research on migration is very deeply personal to me as well. I feel committed to it for so many different reasons. 
One is that I come from South Asia, from Bangladesh, but our family is a partition family. In 1947, when India was partitioned, half of our family, they still live in India, the other half live in Bangladesh. There, many of us are scattered all over around the world. The trauma of partition, and then the trauma of the 1971 war, through which Bangladesh became an independent state, we not only carry it in our um, uh, sort of uh, history and uh, the memory, political memory, but it has also been in many ways my personal memory. So with my family, we were as, um, internally displaced and then spent a long time in refugee camps and then came back when Bangladesh was independent. So I feel from that uh, personal experience, uh, as somebody whose family and who himself uh, herself was displaced, then now as a skilled migrant overseas, then actually coming from the global south, also from a minority background, so all different ways, privilege and not so privileged, they uh, intersect in my life. From there, to come and serve in UNICEF to lead its migration and displacement program was such an important honor and privilege. So I do not want to, or do not wish to leave our listeners to think that I am living this lightly. It's a very deep commitment, and I'm very, I'm very, very passionate about it. Like all of our uh, colleagues, our staff who are working from different parts of the world. Right, everyone's so committed. And thank you so much for sharing your personal story and inspiration for how you got into this area of research. And Bina was really involved in uh, an array of different research projects related to migration, an unbelievable number, actually. And and, and one of those was your, your mission a year ago. You were on the ground in Cox's Bazar, Bangladesh. I'd love to hear more about your experience there. And uh, more specifically... What was the role of research on the ground there? Okay, um, so uh, the um, Cox's Bazaar story actually goes back, um, if we think about the displacement narrative, in terms of that, it goes back to 1962. From then on, actually, uh, what now is the modern state of Myanmar, Burma, from uh, at that time from the kingdom, Arakan Kingdom, we've had actually in Bangladesh, at that time it wasn't Bangladesh, part of India, and then later on it became Pakistan, and in 62 it was pa- East Pakistan. From then on we had many Rohingya refugees, uh, Rohingya who were pushed from the Arakan uh, uh, province, uh, back to the area which was East Pakistan. So it started in 62. It has changed for a, throughout the time with Burmese politics changing. There were lots of internal changes. There were like citizenship uh, rule that has changed, changed in 1982. And there were other ways. There were different kinds of ways. Slowly and slowly, civic and political rights of the Rohingya became uh, started to be restricted. 
in uh, Myanmar. Uh, with that, we have had very uh, large scale of displacement in different times. One was in 91, 92, and in 92, uh, there were, uh, I do not exactly remember the number, but it was probably 300,000 or 400,000 Rohingya who were, after communal violence erupted in Myanmar, they were pushed out uh, in the region which is in uh, Cox's Bazar and Chittagong. Uh, so I was a young student at that time and worked as a volunteer. So because of that, I sort of like had uh, maintained a connection with a lot of Rohingya refugees who then uh, became very important Rohingya diaspora. And also learned a bit of their language, so I was able to, um, um, I had a bit more deep knowledge, if you like, of the Rohingya than many other people. They're not only the most marginalized and most persecuted of uh, refugees globally, they're also most ignored in, for many different re uh, reasons. And there's a lot of prejudice against them. There's a lot of uh, racial politics that also play in terms of uh, supporting the Rohingya. And the other thing is that in, in the country, if you were, if we think about skilled refugees who are educated compared to them, Rohingya are not actually that educated because many of them were simply not able to access uh, education uh, in their own country for a long, long time. So the education rate is very low. Then um, there's a, a lot of trauma there as well. And it's uh, with all of that, uh, many of them, uh, nine, more than 95% um, of them are Muslims, and they're very, very deeply religious Muslim. So veering to what in um, global language now, what we talk about as conservative Muslims. Um, uh, but we can argue about that. So um, in 2016, um, Originally in 2016, there was a massive communal violence after a rape of a, a woman, a Rakhine woman, uh, in uh, in the uh, west in Western Burma, and after that there was communal violence. So a lot of Rohingya were pushed out after the military. Um, started an offensive there. So that happened already in 2016. So I've been talking internally with UNICEF colleagues at that time that we must do something, we must do something. By that time, 2017 happened, then in August. Then in August, there was very targeted, very strategic, um, two-pronged way the Rohingya were pushed up, uh, out from Myanmar. One was a massive military uh, operations uh, carried out um, in areas of not only in Sitwe but in other parts, uh, in Mongjo uh, and other areas uh, in, uh, in the Rakhine state. And also at the same time, uh, there were communal violence with the Rakhines. So hundreds of thousands of Rohingya from 25th of August, um, from that in three months, there were more than 700,000 that moved to Bangladesh. UNICEF at that stage uh, uh, declared in September, um, mid-September, UNICEF declared an L3 emergency, which means that any of us could be drafted and we have to really work uh, closely with the Bangladesh Country Office and other uh, intersector agency coordination group. So, um, 
uh, Bangladesh office uh, and uh, with the support of Mr. Tony Lake, our executive director at that time, requested my presence. And this was the first time uh, from the beginning of an emergency, an L3 emergency, a researcher's, researcher was placed in the oper humanitarian operation. So this is huge. And Bangladesh office have mentioned this, that from the beginning. And the reason was that they wanted to, um, because um, there were a large number of women and children, but also there were a lot of religious uh, community leaders. So what uh, Bangladesh office wanted to do was, was also to take this opportunity to think about some of the ways to engage community more creatively and how to uh, understand the Rohingya community structure, which we knew very little about, to think uh, and also communicate with them in their languages to uh, also um, share um, and uh, exchange uh, skills, what they have, young people, Rohingya, what they have and what we have, and with that develop strong programmatic responses. So that's what was my task was. Uh, to talk to community leaders, to talk to religious leaders, and to talk to camp um, um, various groups in camps, and also uh, to develop some guidance notes for Bangladesh country office and the intersector agency group. So one of those um, uh, guidance notes at the moment is mandatory reading for any intersector agency uh, partner that work in Cox's Bazar, which talks about culture and language and how to actually work with the Rohingya. And then uh, I've uh, developed other ones on adolescence and gender norms and social norms, community decision-making structure, which also looks at questions of ch uh, child marriage and early marriage. Um, on nutrition uh, and also on um, uh, psychosocial well-being. So some of those were uh, very, very interesting and eye-opening for me, and I continue to be involved with the country office. Wow, that history, backstory is really incredible, and um, I think uh, it's really great that someone was thinking ahead on and getting a researcher on the ground to fully assess and make recommendations for how to improve programming from a research perspective. That's very true, Kathleen, because it's really, research is not actually only academic research. Research provides deep insight. So we know how to actually, how to think about um, programs or new kinds of sort of ways of intervention um, very, uh, very clearly from the beginning if we um, connect research with programs as well. So in addition to your work on the ground in Cox's Bazaar, I, I, I also wanted to ask if you have any other specific projects, memories, missions of other work that you've done during your time at UNICEF and Ocenti, work that you've undertaken that stand out to you as critical in tying the role of research to on-the-ground efforts to help migrant, migrants and refugees, and especially children. Okay. Um, in terms of UNICEF, I'm not going to um, raise those, but uh, for listeners, it's important to look at uh, UNICEF um, website and also discuss with our other colleagues in UNICEF. Is UNICEF has a cause framework, and it talks about it specifically raises six policy asks uh, to uh, better protect children uh, in the migration pathway. Um, and uh, the sixth policy ask particularly also talks about targeting racism, marginalization, xenophobia. 
Then we have the third policy ask also talks about uh, keeping families together. So these have been very critical in developing our work from the Office of Research. It builds on the, um, you know, Chenti's actually history um, in, throughout uh, the last few decades. You know, Chenti colleagues have been very closely involved in work on children and armed conflict agenda. In, um, and in my time here, colleagues have been working on family and parenting work, on uh, global kids online, um, then on violence agenda, and also on social protection and child protection. So all of these are very much interlinked. So uh, when I joined from the beginning, connecting what we have in our office, then thinking about the humanitarian and development kind of uh, linkages of how we can connect these kinds of uh, research insights with those through a very unique kind of mixed method framework. So not only thinking about big data, and quantitative research, which tells us about one kind of story, but supplementing it or complementing it with deeper data, deeper narratives and the human stories, if you like, of um, through qualitative research. So using narrative inquiry method, using storytelling approaches, you thinking about um, advocacy, all of those and how they shape global norms how they actually contribute to the way politicians engage with migration discussion. So these have been very important and some of our research really speak to um, these questions. So one of the first one, uh, I'd like to thank very much our national committees, the Swiss National Committee, which have funded me, and also the Nordic committees who reached out at the beginning to talk about um, procedural safeguards uh, for children who are seeking asylum in Nordic countries and some of the advocacy questions. So from this research, which is now uh, titled and is published um, as protected on paper, we, uh, we learn that um, the countries, Norway, Finland, Sweden, Iceland, Denmark, these are the countries which which um, are on the top of protecting human rights globally. We look at them uh, for best practices. And even there we see some implementation gaps. So now we know that we can have the best laws possible in a country, but if there are deliberate implementation gaps created, or if there are loopholes in practice, then children will be left un, uh, unprotected. There will be vulnerabilities, there will be certain risks. So this uh, research tells us about that. And it also, uh, our um, authors have also argued that um, it's important to link and to have child protection agencies at the outset with migration agencies to better protect children, to think about best interests um, principle at the outset. So right, in developing these, the systems and exactly, policy to begin with. Exactly, in developing the systems of policy and also in the asylum process from the beginning till the end, when, um, um, uh, till the end up to reaching a decision. It's very, very important to think about some of those and actually linking it, uh, linking migration um, 
migration agencies and border control agencies with child protection uh, agencies very clearly. So it's very important we learn from this research. The second piece of research that um, I've done with colleagues here uh, and our migration officer Yolanda Genovese with her uh, and colleagues um, in communication, uh, Patrizia um, Faustini and in RFKM, Emanuela Bianancara. So with all of them, what we have done is uh, actually looking at media responses, the role of the media in Italy to think about how it talks about children who are in the migration pathway, how it talks about migrants. So we learned that before 2015, uh, this e the issues of race and issues of uh, hatred and anxiety and economic inequality was presented perhaps a bit differently. But from 2015 onwards and by now, it's getting more and more intense. So how to actually uh, also do child-sensitive and child-responsive communication? with media so and how that actually also helps us in unicef to contribute to global um, norms the um, in terms of better protecting children and their families so these big pieces of research are relevant to europe um, and they have been very very important in um, de developing at the beginning of our migration and displacement work on top of that have been very closely involved with our New York team, uh, with colleagues uh, who have been working uh, closely with policymakers in the US and in other UN um, platforms to always advocate for children's rights, to always think about that migration and refugee agenda must also bring children there. So it had been really useful for me to provide some technical input there and also learn from them how we can actually negotiate and talk to uh, policymakers in that level. And lastly, country offices and region, uh, regional uh, offices often reach out to us now that they know we have a migration and displacement program to uh, for particular kind of technical input in their ethics protocol, in their questionnaires, in what kind of way they could do research. So it had been a wonderful opportunity to engage with them as well. Thank you for that thorough response. Okay, this is another specific question. I know that you recently wrapped up a huge research effort on migration issues in Somaliland. Since this research is about to be um, published, uh, can you give us any early findings, key takeaways uh, from this research and let us know what surprised you the most from this research project? This is still very much at the forefront of my <laughs> thinking because we are, as you mentioned, Kathleen, we have just wrapped it up. To it, it, and this project is funded by DFID. Uh, so DFID have been very interested to look at the Horn of Africa migration story and how that actually also links to child protection system strengthening work. So part of the uh, funding that is going to the countries to Somaliland, Puntland, to the Somalia country office and then Ethiopia and Sudan um, also look at the programmatic responses for children on the move and to better protect children who are, um, uh, who are at the risk of violence and um, exploitation and abuse. So we did the, the uh, we are about to start phase two involving also Ethiopia and Sudan, but with Somaliland office, we have piloted phase one. 
uh, and we have just uh, finished that after um, from January it started and now as you know the product is uh, going to be out before too long so um, what we have uh, seen is that in Somaliland more than uh, uh, 80% uh, young people, they are always very much interested to migrate and to move. And many of them think that Europe is uh, the preferred destination. Um, and uh, we have been talking to the Somaliland country office. We have been talking to some of the youth uh, agencies that work there, to refugee and IDP children, um, and uh, also to some of the uh, big um, agencies which work on advocacy with young people in Somaliland. A most important component of the research is action research component, thinking about participatory research with local partners. So we have partnered through Somaliland country, uh, country office with uh, University of Hargeza, the School of Social Work. So there we have fantastic uh, lecturers who have been involved and also very uh, dedicated and um, with a lot of energy and enthusiasm, 18 researchers, enumerators, who have uh, collected data on the ground. Throughout uh, these few months, we have been intensively engaged in thinking about how to really present our findings and how um, we could connect this research, research with the programmatic responses in a Somaliland country office. Children walk for days, 30, 35 days. Uh, they're IDPs, they're refugees. So the refugees cross border from Ethiopia, from Eritrea and other parts. So then they go pass through Somaliland. So, so there's a lot of way, actually, there are different kinds of displacement that's happening in Somaliland. On top of it, because of environmental issues, because of drought, families also move. Then there's a cultural, historical aspect of it. The nomadic families have moved for generations. These are new borders. They have not been stopped before. Many of them are still not stopped. But the child protection um, scenario on the ground have significantly changed. So even how to protect them by protecting their culture, the tradition, these are actually important questions for UNICEF to engage in. So we, uh, we collected data, we uh, carried out 283 interviews in the pilot phase in five days, uh, translated the interview tools and questionnaires in Somali. So from there, what we know is that illegal migration is called tarib in Arabic that many go for Tarib uh, through Sudan, through Libya, and then by boats they come here. So we know that. Finding some of the important findings that we have from the research tells us that it's very important to engage with young people who return, who, are either, who either fail to uh, be successful to carry out the journey up to the end and reach Europe, to talk to them, use them as advocates on the ground to discuss and to talk to other young people how dangerous these illegal migration routes are. We do not want to obviously stop people from migrating, 
but it has to be also safe. It is uh, some of these journeys are actually harrowing. So really, uh, we already knew that, but now we have found out some of the ways of how we can engage with young people by um, really um, uh, involving those who have failed to make the journey or those who have suffered horrible, horrible trauma. The other issues that there's, there's obviously gender concerns. Girls are particularly um, at risk and there's a risk of the increase of uh, early marriages risk of FGM, which is coming back already. already uh, there have been decades of advocacy also in that region, but what we see is that that's also understood as one kind of protection need. So how to really engage with some of those uh, traditional practices um, of female genital cutting or female genital mutilation. So gender is a big issue. Um, and then of explo exploitation. Um, of uh, young people and children, almost slavery-like. And DFID and the UK government has the modern slavery agenda. So we would we are hoping that in phase two, we'd be able to delve deeper into that. And through qualitative questions, we'd be able to learn a bit more about how to, from research to get programmatic experiences. But what we have seen um, from uh, the phase one uh, research is that many, um, have experienced almost slave-like conditions in their journey or when they were in Libya. So some of those would be important to talk about in the future. So um, keep an eye out when the report comes out and we would love to hear your views about um, yeah, how you think about the report. Right, absolutely. We're, we're really looking forward to reading that. So I'm happy we had a, a moment to talk about that since it's been a huge undertaking in your, in your last few months here at Innocenti. So one more thing I'd like to ask you about is this huge global compact on migration that's coming up. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is, why that's important for the migration agenda, and, and what research can do to inform this? Okay, so the global compact on migration following the New York Declaration in uh, 2016, there were uh, two compacts that uh, the UN uh, member states have agreed on, which are non-binding. One looks at safe, orderly migration, which is the global compact and migration, and the other one is a refugee compact. So these two compacts talk about um, and raise, uh, they're non-binding, but uh, they provide a commitment for all states to better protect children and better protect migrants. I shouldn't say children, it automatically comes to me from UNICEF and also my framework, but the migration compact, our re, uh, our colleagues in um, New York, uh, Verena Naus and Saskia Bloom and many other colleagues who have closely worked uh, uh, with um, actually countries and, and in the UN there, they have uh, really pushed for Again, a child-sensitive, child-responsive kind of agenda and language. They lobbied with many, many countries behind the scene. And, as a, and then now we have that outcome where the global uh, compact on migration uh, articulates that it has to protect children. It, and it also has to keep families together. What we know is that in this global compact, we have talked about from UNICEF, 
to think about children's protection, to ensure that the states and um, uh, the states really commit to also keep families together, to think about that migration, safe and more orderly migration, also requires that um, border agencies and um, the immigration uh, and also border control management authorities all work closely together. So uh, before I close, I, I'd just like to ask you, uh, what do you plan to continue working on in, in this field where you continue to do research on migration issues for children? Uh, just shed some light on what's next for you. Um, thank you. I'm still thinking about what I've learned uh, from my time in UNICEF, how through that, reflecting on that, uh, how I could also tell students, tell others, and also for UNICEF, how I could record some of those stories and those experiences. So in research, I would like to focus on two specific things. The first one is connected to UNICEF. And uh, I'll be hopefully connected with the Office of Research Innocenti for a bit longer, working on a project which here is uh, Young People Under the Radar. We have talked about, and over the last few years, we have heavily invested in talking about, for example, unaccompanied and separated children, but so not so much of accompanied children who may at, that, at, at a different time fall out of certain kinds of protection categories. So how do we actually think about um, those children who um, fall through the cracks? Then the left behind children, children who are stateless, including Roma children, children who don't have birth registration, so this, uh, or children who are disabled, then indigenous children. So this is going to be a compilation of research carried out by colleagues uh, in UNICEF. The second piece of work that I am doing, which is going to be more of an academic research, is actually research on global governance and forced displacement. I would like to understand how child protection concerns have reshaped or reconfigure migration and displacement concerns in the, at the global level. Globally, we have talked for a long time about an international refugee regime. We have talked about how migration changes um, communities, how migration actually uh, also uh, it's good or bad, or all of those narratives we are aware of. But I want to know that if we, because from UNICEF we have focused so much on children's need, their children's protection, and how we actually better support children in their migration journey. So whether or not that actually changes the global governance discussions and, and also in the region. So this, is a, the, this requires um, an evaluation of, of UNICEF, UNHCR, IOM, in, um, ICRC, Save the Children, particularly these large international agencies, their work, their contribution on the ground, and how that have changed political norms. In UNICEF, we always talk about social norms, that when we are, um, how we talk to communities about social norms. But I want to know about norm diffusion and norm framing at the political level, that how we have been successful, and if not, why not? What are the challenges? 
Thank you so much. We really look forward to keeping in touch with you and uh, future research collaborations, especially in these two areas you just mentioned. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Thanks so much for the opportunity to share some of my experience and ideas with you. I've been really grateful. Thank you so much. So thank you all uh, to our listeners for joining us. And again, thank you for your incredible contributions, not only to UNICEF, uh, UNICEF Innocenti, but also to research on migration issues uh, for children everywhere. For the listeners out there, you can follow Bina as she continues her research journey on Twitter at Bina DaCosta. B-I-N-A-D-C-O-S-T-A. Please continue to follow our research at www.unicef-irc.org. For more updates on our research on migration, please follow us on Twitter at UNICEF Innocenti and visit the UNICEF Facebook page at facebook.com slash UNICEF Innocenti. Thank you so much, Bina. Thank you.